Welcome to In Transition, a program dedicated to the practice of content marketing in the public sector. Here's your host, David Pembroke. Well, hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to In Transition, the podcast that examines the practice of content marketing in government and the public sector. My name is David Pembroke, and I'm delighted that you've joined me once again today. Today, we speak to a very experienced government communicator who's got lots of wonderful insights, and she gave a great presentation not long ago to the International Association of Business Communicators here in Canberra, Australia, and we'll be talking to her about that in just a moment. But before we do that, as we start the the podcast every week, we look at the definition of content marketing as it relates to government and the public sector. So content marketing is a strategic, measurable, and accountable business process that relies on the creation curation and distribution of useful, relevant and consistent content in order to engage and inform a specific audience in order to achieve a desired citizen and or stakeholder action. So that is content marketing. So to our guest today, Kate Bradstreet is a communications consultant with over 15 years experience. Kate has advised on several projects for the Department of Prime Minister and Cabinet, including the Prime Minister's National ICE Task Force and Reducing Violence Against Women and Their Children. Prior to founding her own consultancy firm, Kate was the Senior Director of Online Communications for the Department of Climate Change and Energy Efficiency. Kate has also spent several years with the Australian Federal Police, rising to become the Commissioner's Chief Media Advisor, where she advised on such high-profile events as the second Bali bombings and the crises in Timor. Kate, thank you very much for being in transition. Thanks very much, David. Glad to be here with you. Great career. Must be... What are you finding at the moment that is really engaging you in the work that you're doing? Because you're obviously doing some fascinating work. I really like the work where I feel like I can connect with the public. So when I'm talking about connecting with the public, it's on these very issues that I feel are at the heart of where we need to think about. So at the moment, I'm working on the Prime Minister's COAG group on reducing violence against women and their children. This is working with Ken Lay, the former Victoria Police yep. Commissioner, and the 2015 Australian of the Year, Rosie Batty. Now, domestic violence was on the national agenda in 2015. We have been able to move the conversation um, that was, as you know, David, probably a bit of a taboo topic, one that was discussed behind closed doors or actually not even discussed. Now it's across the national papers. It's a community conversation that's happening and it's reached the very highest political levels. Mm. Interesting though, in terms of content, there was... It might have been a month or two ago, but there was that wonderful sequence of stories on the ABC night after night after night. And this is the Australian Broadcasting Corporation for our um, listeners overseas. And there was a program on the Monday night, on the Tuesday night, on the Wednesday, and then it came at the this hideous problem from all sorts of different angles. And it just jolted me as a consumer. And I thought to myself, this is really a powerful way to, to communicate. And obviously you can't have 365 days a year, but how do you sustain 
that engagement? How do you sustain that interest over time in a topic that is so important and so crucial to the future of, of a country like Australia? And it's a global issue, domestic violence against women and their children. It is absolutely a global issue and you're exactly right. So why the emphasis was at that particular time is that it marked the International Day of Violence Against Women. Now, from a content marketing perspective, from a media perspective, I looked at that period of time and knew that that was going to be a key touch point. But the trick is knowing it's going to be a key touch point, so engaging um, media on that and making sure it gets a good run in that week, but you can't have it left in that week. It has to continue. So that is about finding the key opportunities and that week Ken gave a very um, in-depth and really deep Uh, presentation at Monash University that got massive social media coverage, got lots of shares, got lots of likes. His particular quotes were being talked about. But the challenge for me as his media advisor and communications advisor was how do I use that and make sure that that continues and deepens the conversation outside of the week where the attention's on the issue anyway. And so how are you doing that at the moment? So what what um, what I look at, David, is... I look at how the audience has reacted to that piece of information or that speech or that media release, be what it may. And what I need to do is find other ways to connect to the community and keep that conversation ongoing. That means providing new content. That means looking at new angles. That means actually finding things that people want to discuss and get involved with, not just running out standard lines, not just using the same talking points that you've been using on this issue for five years. Yeah, freshen it up, make it interesting. How are you going about using content and how are you creating useful, relevant and consistent content in order to engage and inform a specific audience, you know, to achieve that desired citizen or stakeholder action, which is obviously to, you know, stop it or reduce the incidence of it? Sure. So I um, I use a, a tool where I'm talking, a look at stakeholder mapping. So I analyse what's being said in the media via any stakeholder that might be talking about this issue. And by doing that and by tracking it, you can actually track where the conversation is going. So 12 months ago, um, the issue of domestic violence in Australia wasn't even linked to gender equity. I knew that gender equity is at the very heart of the issue, but the conversation was so far behind. So how do you get to the heart of the issue in taking the community or leading the community on conversation, on that conversation, where that conversation needs to go. Now, we're not there. I'm not saying that we're there yet. I'm not saying that the conversation in Australia on domestic violence is gender-based. It's not, but we're a long way there. Now, the way you go about doing that is at the very highest level. We've had the Prime Minister talking about respect for women being linked to domestic violence. We've had all of the premiers and COAG supporting domestic violence and putting it on the national agenda. We had Rosie Batty last year as the Australian of the Year did 300 speaking engagements to really get this community conversation going. But there are points in that time that you cannot be rolling out the same information. You can't be having the same lines. You need to find the new angles. So the way to do that 
is to track where the conversation is going and think about the next point that will deepen that conversation and engage your audiences in that way. Okay. So in terms of that tool that you're talking about, and it was part of your presentation at the the IABC luncheon, is it a is it an actual tool or is it a like a, a piece of software or is it something that you're just using for with a you know piece of paper and a pen to understand the issues? It's an issues management tool that I've um, been using for a long time because I've obviously been dealing with very in-depth, high-profile issues across my career. Um, so it's not a it's not an app you can download or something like that. But yeah. what it is is analyzing analyzing what the stakeholders are saying publicly. It's looking at what media is covering or what other content areas are covering. It's looking at who are the players in the debate and what are those players saying and have those players changed their position on the particular subject matter from what they may have said 12 months ago. So where you can track that is you can understand how the conversation is progressing and you can look for those key points in time to enter that conversation. Now, it might not be always that the spokesperson that you're dealing with or the person that you want to be out there, it's the best time to enter the debate. You just wait until there's a time that is the right time that you know you're going to get the emphasis that you need okay. to progress that conversation. Now, that you produced a template um, during – and I think it may be useful for us to link that up in the show notes so people could actually see what that template looks like because it's quite a simple document really, wasn't it? You know, just – you know, steps you through quite logically and sequentially what are the tasks that you need to provide that sort of overview of, of the issue that you were managing. And I would argue, David, that anyone that's in an issues management role, a media role, a communications role, it's a very simple way of knowing what your stakeholders are saying. So in six months' time, you're not looking back and going, oh, what was said six months ago and I can't remember what they've said and have they changed their position? It's a tool that can be used every single day. You read the newspapers, you watch the news, you know what's going on. It's a simple tool to track what is being said and look, oh, okay, they're saying that about that particular issue. Here's where we can get our point across. Here's where we can get our point in. Here's where we can change the conversation. So it's really just a a matter of process, isn't it, really, just to build it into your daily work processes that – you just keep working on it. Absolutely. I think I think the actual task of entering um, the information into a template is a process. It's yes. then what you do with that information where the strategy side comes in. Indeed. Now, obviously, the interest around that we have is around content and the use of content to to use this gift of technology that we now have to be able to. You know, everyone is a publisher. Everyone can create um, video, audio, stills, text, and graphics, and there are you know pick the number of channels that you'd like to distribute that content through. How well are your public sector clients understanding this gift uh, and this opportunity for them to be able to build audiences over a sustained basis by telling their story, um, you know, using content and the process of content marketing? I think we're in the early days of it, David. I think um, another thing that I talked about in my presentation was this risk versus opportunity concept. Yes. Uh, Inherently, the public sector, we're operating in risk-averse environments. Yes. Um, But my argument is a risk can very easily be turned into an opportunity. And if the departments and agencies aren't telling their stories and aren't finding those stories and aren't connecting with their audiences, I actually argue that they're in higher level of risk than using it as an opportunity. 
I think we will get there, but I think it's going to just take some time to actually bring the executive um, on board to understand the benefits of connecting through content marketing with their audiences. And my other argument um, is that every department and every public sector organisation have communications and media teams. It's very reactive. So they're reacting to the media. They're reacting to questions being asked rather than saying, okay, we might be getting criticised by media. How do we better get our message out? How do we better actually engage with our audiences so not what they're reading is not just this negative outcome that might be a spin on a media story? Yeah, but... I sort of still struggle with this notion of risk. Uh, how can creating your own content in a useful, relevant way for the audience and distributing it, how is that risky? How is that any more risky than, you know, putting out a press release and then, what, thinking that the media are going to, to treat your information with due respect or due care? It doesn't really happen much, does it? No, I don't, I don't think it is risky. I think yeah. that that's the point that I'm saying. I yeah. think that they... Um, you know, and this is not everyone, but some people feel that engaging with your audience is a risk-based activity. Yeah. It is riskier yeah, if you don't to. engage yeah. with your audiences. Mm -hmm. So the criticism, if something goes wrong is, well, the first criticism is, well, you haven't told us what's happening. You haven't engaged with us. We don't know what's going on. Yes. So that, again, that sort of, to me, makes it even more obvious that you've got to start doing this because to mitigate those risks of of being criticised for, for not informing as citizens and stakeholders become even more demanding about how their money, taxpayers' money is being spent and what in fact is being done. But anyway, we'll come to that another time. So listen, let's just talk about you for the moment. You went, why did you go back to university to study a, a Masters of Strategic Communication? Where What did you see as the value out of that? So I think I'd, I'd been a journalist at the start of my career and I'd been an editor of, um, you know, a, a rural newspaper and I'd gone to Sydney and I'd worked in the metro newspapers. Um, and then obviously I crossed to what they say is the dark side. and <laughs> Lots of people coming over to the dark side. <laughs> Steady procession. <laughs> um, and then my career had um, still been at that very issues-based topical end at the Australian Federal Police. Um, and trying to get help the government get the carbon price legislation through. I wanted to go back to study my master's in strategic communication because I strongly believe that communications has to be aligned to the business priorities and the business outcomes of any organisation that you're working in. No argument from me. <laughs> what did you learn? So I learnt, um, you know, this was at Canberra University, great university here, and I was able to do it face-to-face. -face. And what I learnt was that... You have to have a seat at the table. You have to have a seat at the executive table to have that influence. Now, as communication professionals in Canberra, often communications doesn't have the same level of weight as, say, potentially policy executives or program executives. And so what I learnt when I went to university is that if you don't have that level of influence and if you don't have that seat at the table you can't get your communication strategy aligned to the bigger business objectives. And if you don't have it aligned, then the communication is always going to be a secondary. And you're probably finding yourself fighting these things like risk versus opportunity, fighting these things like why can't we just get the content pushed out there? Why can't we use social media? Why can't we use other channels to get our messages across? So how do you solve that problem? How do 
communicators get a seat at the table? I think it's about proving. It's it's about proving the worth of the communications. It's about being ready for when that issue hits. It's about using tools like that stakeholder mapping. It's about getting the executives to understand that the reputation of the organisations is the number one priority and who in the organisation is looking out for the reputation, it's your communications area. They will have the nous for what's happening in the media, the radar for what's happening on the political fronts. They will have engagement with stakeholders and know their concerns. They are number one looking out for reputation of the organisations. Therefore, they should have a seat at the table. Would you agree with me that given what's happening with technology, given the ubiquity of devices, mobile devices, these, you know, high powered computers that we all carry around in our pocket, high degrees of connectivity, everybody's on the grid, that communications is now more important than it's ever been for any public sector or government organisation. And therefore, it makes it compelling that communication has to be at the heart of of what the organisation is doing. It's real time. So if something goes wrong, before, you may have had a day to sort your lines out in an organisation. You may have had the newspaper ringing you up and said, oh, I understand this happened at a stakeholder meeting. What's your response? You go away, you have hours to formulate a response, to think of what, think of what you're going to say, to sort some issues out. Now you might have two minutes if you're lucky because whatever happened at that stakeholder meeting will be tweeted out, will be put on Facebook or the complaints will start. So you have to be more prepared for when that issue hits than you ever have had to be in the past. So that means that you have had to have an issues management approach in your organisations agreed to, you need to have your spokespeople agreed to, you need to have your issues approach sorted Um, So you're ready to go. You're ready to respond. You're ready with content material. You've already put all of those things in place before that issue hits. So in terms of building that respect and trust through evidence, are you seeing examples where communication is starting to be taken more seriously in and among the clients that you're working with? Yeah, I think it is. And it varies from where you are. I think that that organisations that have been through a bit of a rough patch maybe had an issue hit um, that they haven't been prepared for or something has gone wrong are much more progressed in relation to communications being a priority and the communication professionals having input and a seat at the table. Mm. Um, so it's it's a shame though, David, that it takes an issue or, a, you know, something to go wrong to, to get that input and buy-in. Um, I do believe that um, through recent years and government not being able to potentially get policies through that they have needed to get through because the communication or the connection with the community has been lacking, there has been more of an emphasis on, oh, we can't just make this policy and not communicate it. We could have the best policy in the world, but unless we've communicated it, unless we brought our audiences along and they support it, then it's pointless. But again, I I still struggle with this notion of, okay, well, the way that we're going to convince and uh, get our message across is we're going to do it through the media. Now, that's really never going to work because the media is not interested in, you know, that dispassionate analysis of whatever it is that you're saying. They're looking for the angles for the, you know, where is the conflict that they can tell the stories. And advertising is not really a great way to do it either because you can't really 
explain things through advertising. You can certainly raise awareness. So why is it that we're still back in that space? Why is it that we haven't quite yet been able to, to make that transition to being able to become a publisher, to be able to produce our own content and to be able to build audiences over time by producing that explanatory content that people can get in various different forms through different channels on different devices so as that they can get that understanding that they need to say, okay, yeah, I've got that, I understand it, right, I, you know, let's move forward. I think it's driven a lot by the 24-7 news cycle um, and that uh, government departments are structured in a way that they're yeah. answering questions from journalists that they put prioritisation on having to have the media as a focus and that probably comes from the political um, realm as well. Where I think it's a resourcing question in terms of dedicating some resources to the reactive. You're always going to have to of answer course. those questions, of, of course. course, and media deserve to be engaged on issues of um, public significance. But it's looking at how much of your resourcing goes into reactive yeah. versus the proactive communications. Yeah. And if you get that balance right and you are putting out messaging and you are putting out content in different ways and you're utilising um, the different devices, then that's the game changer. Do you think it'll be a quick change or do you think it will take time, given that you know government and public sector organisations are notoriously... Um, slow to change, but I don't know. I get this sense that they're going to have to change because everything else is changing so quickly around them. There's not going to be this ability to say, well, you know, just stop because, you know, we, we are, we're the government and therefore, you know, we're immune to all of this change. When everyone else is being turned upside down by technology, surely government's going to be upended. I actually think the stakeholder expectations are going to increase or already have increased. So the stakeholders expect government to interact with them as business does, as they get interactions from elsewhere. And that is real time. Yeah. So as the stakeholder expectation on we want the information and we want it now increases, government are going to have, going to, to, have to move move with that. Okay. Now, listen, just back to you again. So, so the Masters was obviously a, a great experience for you and you got that theoretical underpinning, um, obviously sitting on top of that deep journalism practical experience and then, then working. Um, but you've also left government to, to jump into the consulting world. Why did you, why did you do that? I felt that um, when I was in government, uh, while it was great being in the system and, and being knowledgeable about it, as you move up the ranks, you get less away from doing the communications work and more into the management side. <laughs> and my passion lies in, in communications, in the doing. In the doing. Yeah. So I thought, how do I, how do I best do that? And that's when I decided to establish the business. So I was like, so I was... Um, saying to myself, I want to do the communications, I want to do it at a high level, I want to work on very interesting topics that move the Australian community. Yeah. How do I do that? I set up my own business, I become a consultant, I pretty much do the same job as I was doing when I was in government. Yeah, but you don't have to go to meetings. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, being having an arm's length approach and not being... Um, inside the public service yeah. um, gives me frees me up to be able to really give the communications advice that I think is going to work for that subject matter. So, so I'm sure that, um, amongst our audience that there are a number of people who are in exactly the same position with exactly the same concerns. What advice do you have for them uh, on to on that journey? What what are the 
what are the things that they have to look out for? I think that um, in communication roles in the public sector, people need to pick subjects that they're interested in yeah. and passionate about and that connect with communities. If you do not do that, you'll find yourself in communication roles that might not be communicating to an external audience that might be working on a website or might be doing other things that you don't feel passionate about. You can do the job that I'm doing within the public service. It's just really taking those opportunities, finding things that are going to make a difference. Right. But in terms of then setting, you know, taking the step and going out um, and getting started, because, you know, I'm sure you've probably got a mortgage and you like to eat and you like to, you know, buy clothes and do all the rest of the things that we like to do as humans. Um, how hard was it and how and what advice do you have for people to 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 get going and get started? What are the things not to do? <laughs> There's many things not yeah. to do. <laughs> um, I guess I was fortunate in one of the biggest things I think, and you would understand this in a Canberra environment, is your contact group. Yeah. So if you've got some good contacts and you've worked across multiple agencies um, and you're well known for the advice that you can give, yeah. then that's when you can start your own business. If right. you don't have the connections, if you haven't got a broad range of experience, it would be very tricky stepping out on your own. I also think you have to offer a point of difference. So you have to offer a point of difference to what you would have offered as a staff member. Um, And I guess what I'm going to there is that um, you have to be prepared to speak to the executives. You have to be prepared to push your point. Um, Whereas with internally, you may have been a little bit not able to do that if you're a bit, um, you know, concerned or worried about what that might mean. So my advice to people who would be wanting to step out is do this, do the maths, make sure you've got the backing um, of a good brand, of a good website, of a good content strategy behind you. Yeah. Um, make sure your connections are good and you know what sort of work is about. And then you just go for it and see what see how you go and pick and choose the projects that are going to make an impact. Yeah. So really it sounds like what you're saying is make sure you've got at least one or two really good opportunities that are are live that you can then transition, start working off those. And then once you start getting yourself moving, you know, one after the other, after the other, and then off you go. What about the actual business side of things? You know, again, people might find it a bit scary that you know, when you are in a full-time job, the money just lands and you don't have to think about it. Whereas when you're a consultant, you live on your wits and you actually have to pay your taxes and you have to do everything else. Like it's a different, it's a different responsibility. It's a completely different beast and you have to be ready for that because if you haven't had the business now and the business side, you might need to bring yourself up to speed. The ATO are actually um, doing webinars at the moment on starting small businesses, on getting across the tax um, benefits and thresholds and what you need to know. And so you actually have to go and put yourself out there to learn the business side. You might have the communication side down pat and you may be the best communicator in the world. If you don't have the business side down pat, then there's going to be a problem. Okay. I'm really interested that we just quickly go to this, to the use of research in, in government, because I think it's fascinating in that it's, it's such a big area and obviously a very big area that can help content and content marketing. So what are, what are your views about research and how you can integrate research into your um, communication practice and your content marketing practice? 
research is really important. So government um, of often do research for big national campaigns. Mm. It's based on research that has been done yeah. that might inform a 60-second ad. Yes. There is a depth of research out there that could be used for multiple content purposes. Yeah. And the research, if it is good and solid research, if it is showing community attitudes, if it is deepening a conversation, it needs to be used in multiple ways. It is a content marketer's dream. Yeah, exactly. And how do you get your hands on it? You know, is it easy to get your hands on it in a government circumstance? It depends how it was done and what purpose it was used for um, or was going to be used for. So I think often government don't release uh, research for particular reasons, whatever those that might be. But when they do there is actual multiple use and you can actually go, for example, research that was done for the domestic violence campaign, we based the speech off for yes. Ken for last year and what that did was he was able to be an independent spokesperson from government but using government research to really challenge community attitudes yeah. and that's what got the pickup. Now, those, that's research at that sort of macro level, that big research that is, is undertaken. But what, And obviously part of that um, issues matrix that you're putting in place, that's research as well. But what about other forms of research? Are there any other, other ways that you get um, reliable information and put in place experiments where you can test and learn how different pieces of content or different lines are performing or different sort of activations might be working? I think government is rich with research because really you're, you're getting input from community, you're getting input from your stakeholders, you're getting input from what's working in a policy sense. So that's all research. It yeah. might not be formalised research yes. in a, yeah. that ends up in a research report, but you in government have a wealth of information and knowledge at your fingertips. Yeah. It's what you do with it. Yeah. And it's how communications professionals use that information to then go out and communicate with their audiences or connect with their audiences. It's interesting. We we had a, a guest, and I can't quite remember, I think it might have been Gina Florence from the um, city of Bryan in Texas. She was a guest on the podcast, and she had, she had this great piece of advice about getting up from your desk and going and having conversations. That's research, you know, going and talking to the program areas and to the policy areas and to the people who have got the insights, the academic community, the research community, that it's there, you just have to go and find it. Sometimes you just have to go and have these conversations. So getting up and walking around was this very simple piece of advice. It's not going to land in your inbox, David. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, as much as you'd like the story to just yeah. be there, yeah. you know, it's it's, and that's where I guess I use my journalistic sense yeah. comes in. I go and ask questions. I go and find things out. I go and treat it as if I'm trying to find out the story. Yeah, exactly. And you get to the bottom of it and then you just think about the best way to use that content. Yeah. Now, just before we go, a couple of minutes to go, but so what do you see as the big changes in the next six to nine months in, uh, in public sector and government communication? Where are we going to see, you know, the, the big changes? I think um, the environment, obviously, with the 24-7 news cycle, the um, uptake of social media, the expectations from stakeholders, I think we're going to see a change. And the change I'm talking about there is the way that government connects with their audience. Yeah. Government has to, has to do it real time, has to think about how it's managing issues, has to think about how it's connecting with their audiences because... 
if they don't, the stakeholders are not going to be happy with any of the responses. And are you saying or suggesting that really to date they haven't? I'm I'm suggesting to date it's been slower than than anticipated and slower than what would be expected of stakeholders. And that's why you see things on Twitter or on Facebook criticising criticising governments for not doing the engagement correctly or not being on the front foot or not responding, burying their heads um, in the sand. If you're prepared for when that issue hits, if you're prepared with a spokesperson, if you're prepared with content, getting content out in a different way, then you're in a much better position. And it goes back to the argument that I've run earlier in our conversation, David, is that it affects the reputation of the organisation. So anything that hits, you need to be prepared for because if your reputation is impacted, that affects your organisation's daily operations, staffing, morale, all of these other things um, that can go wrong. So you need to be prepared for it and you need to be ready ready with a strategy to go. And if you've, if you've familiarised yourself with that strategy, if you've got executive endorsement on that strategy and approach, then you're so far ahead of the game. Yeah, great. Kate, where can people learn more about you, get access to you, give you a call, come and work on their program? How do they, how do they reach you? Uh, probably the best way is through my website, yep. which is katebradstreetcommunications.com.au. All my details are on there and the work that I've done in the past and some case studies. And I'm always happy to have a chat, yeah. even if it's an issue someone's got that they just want to run past an idea or a strategy, pick up the phone and, and I'm always happy to take a call. Fantastic. Okay, Kate, thank you very much. Um, wonderful uh, episode there of In Transition. Very experienced communicator, knows what she's talking about and enormous amount of value there for the audience. So I'm sure you enjoyed that. I really enjoyed that, that chat with Kate. What a delightful lady and great professional that she is. So thank you very much, everyone, for joining us once again. We will be back next week with another episode of In Transition. We'll catch you then. You've been listening to In Transition, the program dedicated to the practice of content marketing in the public sector. For more, visit us at contentgroup.com.au.